Well, Greens, welcome to The Dividing Line. We are uh, racking up the last few times we're going to be here. I'm not even sure that we're going to do another program here. I don't think so. I'll probably be on the road. And once again, once we're on the road, you've got to use the app to have any idea. Because I know, for example, um, might be able to do one Tuesday. Uh, once I get to Holbrook, we'll see. Um, but it's it's just always... You know, was there a road closure? How long did it take you to get set up? Uh, you know, did something spill in the unit you have to clean up? <laughs> it's just all sorts of things gets in the way. So that's the only way to really know. And uh, did I drink something I shouldn't have? Yeah. Um, and I know that on uh, Wednesday, I think it is, I'm going to be joining uh, Chris Irons on Iron Sharpens Iron. And... Uh, there's some folks I want to have on the program before the debate on the 16th. And Rich just handed me this hideous pile of, of cables that he says will actually allow me. Can I get something other than a, a 49 cent earpiece? Can we, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm hitting Amazon. I'm hitting Amazon, and uh, I'm I'm going to find something other than a, the 49 cent earpiece that we've used in here for years and years and years. Um, but this thing will allegedly allow me to have a fake mix minus, which we don't know what mix minus is. Um, I cannot survive when you get an echo back from what you're saying, especially when it's like half a second behind you. It's just it's like I will give it up. And so this allegedly will allow me to have guests. I still don't know how that's going to work. But we need to be able to develop that uh, capacity uh, so that I can have folks on the program and do some interviews while we're on the road. And uh, there's some folks I want to have on uh, before the debate. Because this could be a really important debate. And you may not think it's all that important to debate. You may think it's already a a done deal. Uh, But Side B Christianity, uh, gay Christianity, revoice, revoice light, uh, making huge inroads into evangelical churches. And um, this will be a, an important uh, encounter. So um, that's coming up. Yeah, Yes, sir? Oh, I was, I was going to just say, what we're doing is we're tapping into the output from your laptop for Zoom. It's that simple. I know your eyes are glazing over already. So is everybody else's. <laughs> Zoom has a built-in mix minus. That's it. We're just taking advantage of that. Okay. So simple as that. It's it. I. You you want you want to go grab it so I can show folks how simple it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's a hideous pile of cables, and uh, we'll we'll see how that survives the trip uh, as well. Anyway. So that's coming up uh, next week. I leave um, on the 5th. Uh, that is a Tuesday. And so we will have four weeks worth of um, on-the-road dividing lines. And, of course, I'll be at G3. We will be doing the pre-conference. Interesting discussions, I'm sure, going to take place. Um, I-, I guess there were people that were stunned I don't know why. I guess people don't necessarily listen to all the sweater vest dialogues and stuff like that, but they were 
stunned by some of the stuff that I said on Twitter recently where I'm, I'm going, no, um, uh, look, um, there, there's a, there's a citation that I, and I've read, I've read this citation over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah, there it is. Um, and I, and I, I'm not saying that John Adams was writing scripture. John Adams might have been wrong, but I've never heard anyone make an argument that what he said was wrong. John Adams was one of the founding fathers, um, and he was very much involved with the formation of the United States of America. And in 1798, he said the, he wrote the following words. While our country remains untainted with the principles and manners which are now producing desolation in so many parts of the world, while she continues sincere and incapable of insidious and impious policy, we shall have the strongest reason to rejoice in the local destination assigned us by Providence. But should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation towards one another and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner the charming pictures of candor, frankness, and sincerity, while it is rioting in rapine and insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world. I mean, that happened 80 years ago and has only gotten worse and worse and worse. Because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice? How much are we in debt? Can we even keep track anymore? Avarice, ambition, revenge, and licentiousness. <laughs> People in this nation don't even know what licentiousness means. Would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It's a heart issue. It is... You, you, you cannot have any form of government that respects human liberty and dignity when the people in the country don't understand what liberty and dignity are based on. You can't. And so I, I just I just said, we're, we're already in a post-constitution. I mean, look, look at every day now. We have the two forms of the justice system. You've got justice for Hunter Biden <laughs> and Hillary Clinton and uh, BLM protesters. I mean, they just threw the book and they're going to imprison um, pro-life demonstrators for breaking the face thing. Um, at the same time, I think it's Denver is paying out $4.7 million to BLM rioters who were arrested. <laughs> it's, it, we Clearly, we are already at the point where you have the rules for the party and the rules for the people that are not in the party. We're already there. There's not a single one of the founding fathers that would look at what's going on today and even recognize the connection between what they wrote and what's going on. No, they wouldn't. Yes, sir? Now, I'm positive I remember you saying that 
bring this up after Obergefell. Oh, sure. All right. But I'm also positive I've heard you say it numerous times, maybe going back 10 years, you've cited that. Oh, yeah. We need need to get that. You mean Adams? Yeah. We need to get that little engine that we've just gotten built to go search that. But I'm positive it's going to go back at least 10 years that you've said that. Interestingly enough, in Evernote, um, the last date of editing, this is somewhat useful, uh, happens to be June 22nd, 2015. That's right at the time of Burgerfeld. Yep, that's right at the time of Burgerfeld. Yep. Yeah, so um, so, so th- I made some comments and basically said, look, if you want to talk about secular liberalism and the freedom that it grants, look around you. Uh, look around at what, at what is going on right now. Um, Paivi Razanen, and I'm sure I'm massacring that. I, I make no claims to be able to um, read or uh, speak Finnish. But she has been, I believe she was foreign secretary or something for the government at some point in time. Um, but she is on trial in Finland. And I looked and looked and looked, and eventually I found um, there, there, there is, uh, there is the tweet uh, that she she is on trial for three things, and this is one of the primary things. Um, this is a tweet that she posted in 2020, I think, or was it 2019? It says. 2019. So, and it's in Finnish. Okay, I had to look and look and look because it said that it was a most of the, most of the news articles, especially from Europe, wouldn't quote it. They would not even quote what she said because she's on trial for having said it. But they said that there was an attached picture of Bible verses. Well, actually, y- you don't expect. Uh, well, I, I'm not even calling them journalists. They're not journalists. They, from the way I was taught what journalism is supposed to be, there are almost no journalists left in the world. All right, but you look at this, and it's obvious what it is. It's Romans one twenty five and twenty six. Okay, so she's she's included. Maybe she took her phone out, took a picture of her finished Bible. Uh, Romans one twenty five twenty six. Well, what did she say? Um, I have it. I uh, used Google Translate. <laughs> Here, here's what it said. The church has announced that is the official partner of SETA in Pride 2019. How does the doctrine of the church, the Bible, fit together with the fact that shame and sin are raised as a matter of pride? She's on trial for saying that. She's on trial. And the prosecutor today made the argument that it doesn't matter whether what she said is true. It only matters whether it insulted someone. And so here's your democratic secular liberalism. And it produces super minorities. Now, th- they could, 
it does not produce it on the basis of any objective reality. And so these super minorities could become despised by the state next year. Okay? So so they they only they are only super minorities as long as it's helpful to the regime. All right, so let's, let's keep that in mind. But you can create super minorities. And again, <laughs> I'm I'm surprised we haven't I you know maybe Chris did do do that. But I'm surprised we haven't searched on Uber rights yet. Um, I, I thought maybe he did. Yeah, I, I, went, I think it went back to 2000 or something like that. Right around that time period. Um, but nearly a quarter of a century. I've been saying homosexuals do not want equal rights. They want Uber rights. They want superior rights to everybody else. And here you have it. If their feelings are hurt, if they feel insulted... You will pay for it. This is this is what secular, quote unquote, democratic liberalism will give you. All the drag queen story hours, all the abortion, um, all the transgender insanity that is all around us. I mean, did you see Keith Olbermann? I mean, okay, this man went insane. Long, long time ago. I mean, the, the man the man is truly, completely nuts. There's no question about it. I mean, you want to see someone who's completely off their rocker. But he responds to, uh, what's her, the, the name of the swimmer who's taken? Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, yeah. Um, he responds to her and just basically says, you were just a lousy swimmer. You lost. Get over it. Because she lost to a six-foot-seven guy. Um, and, and this, this is the insanity, the childishness that is being produced because secular democratic liberalism has no objective foundation or grounding. So it's whatever it wants to morph into at any particular point in time. That's why you have people literally who have created a religion out of the climate scam that they didn't care about five years ago. They didn't. But now it's the most important thing in the world. And if they come up with something new, that'll become the most important thing. Because there's no objective reality that's connected to history, facts, argumentation, logic, any of that kind of stuff. It's just whatever floats your boat. And there you go. So we have someone literally on trial for asking how the church in Finland... No, it's an apostate church. That's why. <laughs> it's, a, it's a church that cares nothing about the Bible. We, we get that. The state churches become apostate very, very quickly. That's the problem with sacralism. That's why there, in any discussions of quote-unquote Christian nationalism, that has to be... We have to look back and recognize that this has always been the case. And if you're going to talk about the fact that, look, if you live in God's world, then you have to live according to God's rules. Okay, that's a given. We can't have the myth of neutrality. But how is that supposed to work out? It can only work out when you have a massive change in the hearts of the people within a particular um, nationality, nation, whatever else it might be. If you, but if you have a nation where God moves and the people say, we want to do what God wants us to do, 
we better be ready to tell them what that is. And, and I'm just telling you, I was raised in a milieu and a mindset where we would have, if, if, the, if the governor of the, of the state had come to almost anybody that was a pastor, in my experience, and had said, you know what? I and the leaders in the, in the legislature, we want to do what's right before God. We want, to, um, we want God's blessing. How do we do it? Complete deer in the headlights. What? What? That's not our role. What? So I'm I'll be honest with you, I'm frustrated with people on both sides. I'm frustrated with people on both sides that are that are lobbing bombs. And I was saying this last night. There are people lobbing bombs at G3, and there are people on the G3 side lobbing bombs the other direction, and and people getting all upset, and you've accused me of this and you've accused me of that. And I'm sitting back and, and Tom Buck uh posted a tweet a couple days ago and I retweeted it and he says I've got people I, I have friends on both on both sides of a lot of these issues and there was a day when you could actually have some kind of debate without getting out the pitchforks and and lighting the fires but it really seems that social media has destroyed that and obviously in our national conversation, there's no, there's no place for any of that either. So it, I guess we're just picking up on that kind of stuff. But, you know, I had people who were, they were listening to what I was saying, and I'm talking about, we, you know, we've been soaked in the myth of neutrality. Um, the, the, we live in God's world, so God's rules are the only things that are going to allow us to, to prosper in this world. And what's being done right now in the name of secularism is all going to fall down on top of itself. It has no ability to last, but it can create massive and and may well. I pray God doesn't allow it to happen, but if it's his will, it may create the same kind of massive uh, hatred of life that the Soviet Union did. Certainly China's that way. But man, wouldn't it be awesome if God... Changes hearts in China. <laughs> I mean, what a, what an awesome thing. I, I've said more than once, I would love to see China become the light that spreads across the earth. Well, that'd be awesome. Are you saying God can't do that? I think there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people whose theology does not allow for that at all. God can't do that. What do you mean? <laughs> what a, and it's like, hey, if you're a Calvinist, you can't sit there and say God can't do that. You better believe he can. You better believe he can. So I, I'm just simply saying, myth of neutrality, you can't defend that as a Christian. You can't defend secularism. Secularism is an anti-Christ philosophy. And this is all going to fall down on top of itself eventually. And what are we going to do then? We don't want to be the deer in the headlights at that point. We don't want to be the people going, well, we don't really know what to suggest. Uh, you know. And I'm I'm just confessing that's what I was raised with. I'm not there anymore, but that's what I was raised with. So I had people saying, "Oh, well, I hope when you get the G3, you'll say this to this person, that person." I'm just like, "No, actually, I'm going to go to G3, and in the pre-conference, there's going to be some interesting conversation, but it's going to be respectful, and since it's face to face, it'll probably be different than what we have." on Twitter. 
<laughs> which which may be going away for us anyways, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I've seen some really disturbing and negative things going on on Twitter. I have to wonder if investors haven't gotten to a certain Elon Musk. Um, but we will see. Anyway, because it's face-to-face with, with, with Bibles in hand, um, it's going to be different and hopefully more helpful than what you have in, uh, in social media. Um, so, you know, I'm, I am thankful that God still has believing people in Finland. Um, but if, you, if you're a believer anywhere in the European Union, you have a target on your forehead, and that's coming for us. Just look over there to see what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen. You get these super minorities, and their feelings are all that matters. Your feelings don't. No one could care less about your feelings. You represent the old way. Um, but uh, super minorities, and that way you, you shut down the preaching of the gospel. You, you get people that... You know, we can't have people out evangelizing in the streets and things like that. Uh, just, just having, just look at what's happening over there, and you'll, you'll see what's, uh, what's going on. So, um, connected to that, I uh, mentioned to you. Uh, let me see. Wait a minute. I had a bunch of stuff here. Um, oh yeah, I'm, there are two things connected to the last program. Okay, let me get those two first, and we'll jump into this other stuff. Got it. Got a bunch of. Got a bunch of things. Um, in regards to Pope Francis and the last program, remember we talked about what's going on there. Um, I noted that AP News came out with an article yesterday that he is going to um, update a 2015 encyclical. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but he's going to update a 2015 encyclical on the environment. Now, one thing we know absolutely for certain is that Pope Francis is sold out to all sorts of leftist, leftist causes, but he's, he's sold out to Darwinism. He is sold out to a really fundamentally inconsistent worldview to most of all, well, I'm not going to say all, but the vast majority of the popes before him. And he is an environmentalist. And he buys into, he, you know, during COVID, he was talking about Mother Earth's got a fever or whatever insanity it was he said back then. So, here's, here's the question. Um, if he lacks the insight to be able to recognize the obvious reality that this is a fraudulent movement. I mean, anybody who digs into it finds the the number of altered data sets and arbitrary beginning and ending points in graphs and you dig into how carbon dioxide actually works as far as its its tiny role. Vast, vast, vast majority is water vapor. Nothing you can do about that. Got to keep the oceans around. But carbon dioxide 
It's plant food. It's actually, it's almost frighteningly low right now in comparison to what plants actually need. It's been much higher in the past. Um, But after a certain number of parts per million, around 400, 420, its role in reflecting heat becomes irrelevant. You can double, triple, quadruple it. It doesn't make any difference. Um, China's not going to do anything. Um, The United States of America, in committing a internationally illegal act of blowing up the pipeline, uh, released more carbon dioxide and methane and things into the atmosphere than all of our cars combined for years would have ever produced. Uh, A single volcanic eruption anywhere could wipe out trillions of dollars of alleged carbon reduction. I ordered something from Europe. I didn't know it was coming from Europe, but I ordered something from Europe recently. And I just happened in passing to look at the receipt. And there is this whole section about carbon offset credits, which I'm sure I paid for in some way, shape, or form. Um, Utterly irrelevant. China's not going to do it. India's not going to do it. This is all just meant to destroy the West. And, And Pope Francis isn't bright enough to figure it out. And now he's going to combine it with theology and a worldview that is not consistently biblical. Um, what do you do about that? To my Roman Catholic friends, what do you, what do, you do about that? How do you, how do you handle that? Especially those of you who you recognize, you know, there are Roman Catholics that are, are well aware of at least, at least that one Hindu Republican guy. Yeah. He he was he was on somebody's show saying it's a scam, and they were saying, "Oh, but uh, a UN council says," and he's like, "UN council, yeah, it's it's just you're gonna buy a used car from them? I'm not, you know." Um, at least there's somebody out there saying this is just a bunch of baloney, and there are Roman Catholics who recognize it's a bunch of baloney. What happens when your pope buys into the baloney? Do you just do the yeah? Well, you know, he's not infallible about climate science stuff. What what happens when he makes it part of his theology? I'm just asking you. I'm just asking you. It's not out yet, but I'm sure it's going to be a humdinger, and we'll we'll definitely take a look at it when it does come out uh, from uh, from good old Pope Francis. Now, I mentioned at the end of um, I'm watching all the homeschoolers. There's a homeschooling place nearby us here, and uh, they just get busier and busier. And and you know what? <laughs> watching watching the videos that come out from pretty much every public school in the West explains why they're getting busier and busier and that's a good thing uh, there's no two ways about it um, I pray for our homeschooling families and I know it's not easy self-sacrificial but if you love your kids you're not going to send them uh, into that that place anymore I mean, I I was public school raised, but I'm now almost as old as dirt. So it was a completely, hey, you're older than I am. Well, I'm not going to make any comments uh, at that point. Um, hey, I was just I was just at streets, and the table in front of me was three guys that are about 15 years older than us. So listening to them talking about you know, how to test for dementia and stuff like that. It's just like, 
Uh, one guy did have a 35-foot, um, yeah, uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, uh, one of them did have a 35-foot uh, fifth wheel that he pulls. I almost said something, but I decided to keep my mouth shut. Anyway, what were we talking about? I don't know. Um, old, I was old personing uh, stuff. Um, on the on the last program, I had this up. I haven't even moved it. I've left it on my secondary screen here. I had it up for the last program. We just spent too much time on other stuff. And then, lo and behold, uh, Al Mohler talks about this very tweet uh, this morning on the briefing. So um, I had it up first. <laughs> I just didn't get to it first. Part of it is because I have read some of Yuval Noah Harari's books. And I've played some clips for you. And I think it's because of the uniqueness of the name. A lot of people don't keep making the connections, but he's one of the WEF's big brains. Israeli, Jewish, homosexual, atheist, and he's a brilliant guy. He's obviously very, and he knows that. He's very, 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 very proud of his intellect. Um, but Here's what he tweeted on August 24th, so a week ago. From a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. I I suppose... All right, hold on a second here. I can take this one down and... And... Doesn't look so good, but it it, it does the... uh, Sometimes it does the pixelation thing, and sometimes it doesn't. But anyway, from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. Whatever is possible is, by definition, also natural. A truly unnatural behavior, one that goes against the laws of nature, simply cannot exist, so it would need no prohibition. Now, there is a... Silly, simplistic way in which you could go, well, okay, if you want to redefine terms in childish fashion, then if you want to say unnatural, and you're just going to be a a materialist, then what he's saying is that which is unnatural is that which goes against the laws of nature, and he's defining that solely as physical laws. So if I want to just levitate in the air, this would be an unnatural thing, but I can't do it. And so it's it's sort of what the materialist has to do. That's all he's got. But he's clearly connecting this outside of that to the claims that there are certain behaviors that are unnatural. And that, of course, is what Scripture teaches. So in Romans 1, in talking about homosexuality, and he is a homosexual, uh, you have Paul talking about that which is against nature. And it's this, you know you're, by the way, in passing, you know you're not talking to a serious person as far as their ability to think things through. 
when someone goes, yeah, well, Paul also said long hair is against nature. So obviously he just means that in a cultural sense. If you really think that that passing comment to the Corinthians, given certain backgrounds in Corinth, is the same context as the general terminology we use in Greek syntax, nomic uh, context of Romans 1, where you're talking about all of mankind, all of time, all cultures. If you think those are the same context, you're not really thinking very clearly. You're not being serious. Paul can talk about um, the issues of hair, which we talked a little bit on the open phones segment. Is that thing going to be useful in the open if we try to do phones? Would it? It would be. Okay, all right. I don't know how we're going to do that, because we we haven't done that, have we? Yeah, we've got to find, yeah, got to, got to, got to make it fully functional. So, um, okay. Um, huh? Yeah, trust you? Yeah. Uh, tr- trust you that I can run it from there by myself. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. That, that's like when your voice starts coming through the computer over there and uh, you're talking to your cat. <laughs> I'm like, what? what's going on here? Um, anyway, sorry, we got distracted there. Um, you're, you're, you're not talking to someone who's thinking carefully about the contexts uh, from Romans 1. And here, Harari is literally saying that there is there's nothing that can be an unnatural behavior as long as you can accomplish it. And I'm just sitting there going, so... I mean, we can think of all of the perversities of mankind from pedophilia, bestiality, necrophilia, um, all of this kind of stuff. And since it can be done, that means it's natural. And hence cannot be prohibited. Or shouldn't be prohibited. But um, the Holocaust happened too. So was that natural? What, what, what would prohibit it? Harari, who is also a transhumanist, and he's the one saying, you know, the next step of evol- evolution is, is joining with cybernetic implants and... Um, transferring human consciousness to something other than a physical body so you never have to die, and all this kind of stuff. So the stuff of science fiction movies. That's his thing. And we have to realize worldviews have consequences. Worldviews have consequences. And this kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that when you allow totalitarians Mao Xi Jinping um, North Korea when you allow these types of tyrants to grab hold of this type of thinking they can do anything they can do anything what if China found a way to ground all of our nuclear missiles but nuke us with all theirs why not? Why not do it? 
I mean, <laughs> simplest way to do that is I think they've already bought off most of our leadership anyways. I mean, it's it's astonishing. I lived through Watergate, and I was interested in Watergate. You know why I was interested in Watergate? I've never shown it. It's around, or did I? Did I show it on the program once? I, I did? Okay. I got a letter from Richard Nixon, okay? When I was in, like, first grade, um, I wrote a letter to the president. I, I think it may have been a part of a school assignment. I don't recall. But I watched the CBS Evening News, Walter Cronkite, you know? And I wrote a letter about the Ho Chi Minh Trail and what was going on with all that controversy of going, you know, crossing borders and all that kind of stuff. And I got a letter back from the president. And my parents put it in a frame. And I think it's in, I think it's in my office. If it's not, it's no place else because my parents are gone. So uh, should be in the office somewhere. So when he resigned, I was just crushed. Uh, I really was. And when I when I think of the things he was accused of, that he just immediately, you know, very, very quickly resigned over. And then I look at what's going on with Biden today and the corruption and the money and the it, it's just so... And the fact that our people had this information for years and years and years and covered it all up, it makes the Nixon stuff look like child's play. And yet that's where we are. That's how far we've fallen into degradation in this nation. And so I, 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 if the, if the Chinese in, invade Taiwan, we're going to sit here and go, thank you. Hope we can get semiconductors from someplace, you know, um, because anybody who would want to do anything about it, I think they've already been paid off anyways. It's certain, it's obvious to me that back when Biden still had his mind, which he doesn't any longer, obviously, neither does Mitch McConnell, neither does Dianne Feinstein, uh, neither does Nancy Pelosi, uh, neither does Fetterman, all these people, if they had the slightest bit of integrity, would step down immediately. Immediately. But they won't, because it's a vote. I mean, it's literally weekend at Bernie's. It's weekend, yeah. It's weekend at Bernie's in the in in the Senate and the House of Representatives. That's that's where we are, and the White House. Yeah, just prop them up, you know. Just prop that. It's yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what it is. I vote yes. <laughs> so, sad, 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 sad. Okay. Um, here's the next one, real quick. Um, yep. And I don't know if this one will do the same thing. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Boy, is she a fascinating one. Check this one out. Parents do not own their children. Kids are people, not things. They have a right to privacy about their sexuality and gender identity to choose when and to whom they share those intimate details about their life. Here is the very face and voice of evil. It is evil for someone to say. It is evil to sexualize children. It is evil to remove them from the natural, God-ordained position of being dependent upon their parents. Now, there's a whole lot of evil going on because every parent that takes their kid to a gay pride parade 
or Drag Queen Story Hour should be flogged. Okay? So there's a lot of that going on too. But the fact of the matter is, to the, the natural end point of this absurdity is what you see in uh, Brave New World. And that is the state produces children. The state determines the A's and the B's and the C's and the D's and the E's. Because that could be done. That technology, if you remember the story, that technology of producing dumb workers, they only have the intellectual capacity to do the job assigned to them, but they don't have the intellectual capacity to want any more. To do that in vitro, that already exists, sadly. It didn't back when it was written, but, you know, these people sort of saw stuff coming. Anyway, uh, this is the natural end result of this destruction of the, the nuclear family, this mockery of father and mother, uh, this assertion that children, little children, have some idea of their gender identity. I'm sorry. I cannot show the slightest respect for an adult that thinks that a five-year-old can determine their gender identity. You are a moron. You deserve no respect whatsoever. You, you have the IQ of what shoelace. You truly do. You are a moral pygmy. I cannot respect someone like that. And I don't understand how anybody could, well, as a Christian, we should. No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. There are times when you need to go Elijah, and there's one of them, okay? Anyway, uh, end result of this foolishness from foolish people like Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis uh, is the state taking over all of that. And uh, believe you me, we've got people in the state that would be more than happy to do that. Okay, next one. We're having fun here. We are enjoying ourselves and moving along at warp speed. Everybody saw this one yesterday. Boy, this one hit. <laughs> uh, this year's Mrs. America winner, Hannah Neeleman, is the homeschooling mother of seven kids. Some people go, whoa. And I just go, welcome to Apologia. <laughs> It's just <laughs> all there is to it. Seven? Only seven? Really? Uh, we've got we've got one lady who's either did she just give birth or is she can't keep track anymore. Uh, looking at eleven. Yeah, uh, we got a couple families. I think uh, in apology. Uh, mother of seven kids who lives on a farm with her family in Utah. Hmm. When judges asked this Christian mother. When she, when had she felt the most empowered? This was her answer. I have felt this feeling seven times now as I bring these sacred souls to the earth. After I hold that newborn baby in my arms, the feeling of motherhood and bringing them to the earth is the most empowering feeling I have ever felt. Now, I am, I am thankful for Families with seven kids, even in Utah. But folks, you got to understand something. She's a Mormon. Now, whether she is a... Um, oh, what are you doing there? 
Find the right button there, buddy. There you go. But I, you know, I could have done that one. Man, alive. I just, uh, I, you know, I don't, don't, I don't, I wouldn't have done that if I'd been doing that in the RV. So I just, just saying. Anyway, um, she's a Mormon. Now, whether she's a part of a polygamist group or what, I don't know. But she's in Utah, and I'm sorry. When you talk about bringing sacred souls to the earth, there's a lot of us who know exactly what she's talking about. I saw people go, well, you can't know for sure. And I'm just like, oh boy, naivete. And so many, I don't know if you saw this. I, I bet you you didn't. Uh, Delano Squires uh, linked to the uh, cartoon from Godmakers from the, from the 80s. And a lot of people were like, I've never heard that before. And I'm like, oh, our, our, our work has been wasted. <laughs> it hasn't been. But uh, let, me just, let me just remind everybody of a fundamental reality here, okay? Let me... Uh, Okay, uh, oh, uh, no, that's not going to work. It popped it over onto the screen, which is not what I want it to do, and I don't have time to fight with it in here. So I'll do it this way. And take the format out. That's close as we're going to get. Let me remind you of... Absolute fundamental uh, LDS doctrine. Okay? I'm not going to give as much of the background as I normally do. This is from Achieving a Celestial Marriage Student Manual, copyright 1992 by the Corporation of the President of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. So, this is official LDS teaching written by the Church to be taught to all the people who are going to be married in the LDS temple. All right? And copyright 1992 sounds like a long time ago. Uh, 30 years shouldn't be a long time ago. And it was used for years after this. So it's much more contemporaneous than that. It, it is no longer being used, but it was. And it was written by the corporation, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It doesn't get any more official than that. All right? So this is clearly the theology that's behind what the young lady was saying. All right? And this is what people need to understand. You need to have an accurate understanding of what Mormonism has taught so that for, if for no other reason than in conversations with Mormons, you can recognize how many Mormons no longer believe or understand what their church has taught all along. Because these things are being de-emphasized now. Now, not obviously in the backwoods of Utah, <laughs> And that's why I was saying, you know, there are polygamous groups and things like that. And you'll get you'll get more old-style Mormons in the backwoods of Utah than you will in Sacramento or something like that, okay? But let's run through this. Pages 4 and 5, which means this is not back toward the end someplace in an appendix. This is where they start you. God was once a man who, by obedience, advanced to his st present state of perfection. Through obedience and celestial marriage, we may progress to the point where we become like God. Proclaiming the divine potential within man, John Taylor once wrote, 
Knowest thou not that thou art a spark of deity, struck from the fire of his eternal blaze, and brought forth in the midst of everlasting burnings? The Mormon, August 29th, 1857. Elder B.H. Roberts stated, Man has descended from God. In fact, he is the same race as the gods. His descent has not been from a lower form of life, but from the highest form of life. In other words, man is, in the most literal sense, a child of God. This is not only true of the spirit of man, but of his body also. Can you see the implications of these two statements as they relate to you and your eternal destiny? Elder James E. Talmadge did. He declared, in his mortal condition, man is God in embryo. However, any individual, now a mortal being, may attain the, attain the rank and sanctity of godship. How is this possible? What course of action will bring this potential to fruition? As you study this lesson, look for the answers to these questions. And then you have subtitle, points to ponder. God became God by obedience to law. Listen to that. Don't let it skip past you. God became God by obedience to law. God's not eternal, has not eternally been God. But the law is, where did it come from? They can't tell you. There is an absolute fundamental inborn incoherence to the entire Mormon worldview. And that's because Joseph Smith just didn't think all these things through and then got himself murdered in the Carthage jail before he could. It was late afternoon as we sat in my office, but I felt the time had been well spent. He sat silently now, obviously contemplating the ramifications of the things we had been discussing. We had talked of God, of how he had become God, and of what that meant in terms of our own exaltation. Finally, he spoke. So the yellow italics is the young Mormon speaking to the older Mormon, which is in white. What is this law of exaltation of which you keep speaking? Well, it involves the whole of the gospel law. Everything required of us by God is associated with this law, but the major crowning point of the law which man must obey, is eternal marriage. Therein lies the keys of eternal life, or as the Doctrine and Covenants puts it, eternal lives. In other words, an eternal increase of posterity. Now right here, most Christians just go, what on earth are you babbling about? You just took a left-hand turn, and I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's why most conversations with knowledgeable Mormons become very difficult for most Christians. Because they don't know that Mormonism is as far from Christianity as any religion ever could be. It is the most polytheistic religion that man has ever imagined. More than Hinduism, Mormonism believes in an unlimited number of gods. And God, men and angels, are all the same species, just at different levels of exaltation. So the most fundamental foundational issues, complete difference, complete difference. And so you can, Doctrine and Covenants can take eternal life, that means something to us, and talk about eternal lives. So the power of God in Mormonism is the power of priesthood and procreation. Priesthood and procreation. There used to be Mormons that were really blunt about that, people like Bruce R. McConkie, but they're not nearly as common these days. But notice how it defines it. In other words, an eternal increase of posterity. That's offspring. Okay? Then what you're saying is that God became God by obedience to the gospel program, which culminates in eternal marriage. Subpoint: through obedience to law, we can become like our Father in heaven. Yes, do you realize the implications of this doctrine as far as you are concerned? I think so. 
if God became God by obedience to all the gospel law, with the crowning point being the celestial law of marriage, then that's the only way I can become a God. Right. And it is the law that assists us in reaching that potential. It tells us what we must do to gain the ultimate freedom. In fact, it is by obedience to law that we have progressed to our present position. You mean we have always been governed by law? Now, I always stop at this point and say this short paragraph is, in my opinion, one of the most helpful statements of the fundamental difference between Mormonism and Christianity that I've ever read. And it's only... Well, it's one word and two sentences. Always, you are an eternal being. You were never created, and you cannot be destroyed. But you can advance, progress, and develop by obedience. Now, I I want you to hear that. You are an eternal being. You were never created. Okay, that is an absolute denial of fundamental foundational biblical categories of religious faith. You cannot take a position that says that and connect it in any meaningful fashion to the Christian faith. You can't. Then Hamlet's question, to be or not to be, is not the question. Right, not in the ultimate sense at least. Order means law, and that law is the law of the celestial kingdom. Any who come under that kingdom must obey that law. But I thought godhood meant freedom. If I have to do things to become God, am I really free? You've got it wrong. It was the Savior who said, if you continue my word, that is, obey the law, (laughs) you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. So by obedience to law, we learn truths by which we become free, but not free from the law. Can you see that? I think so. I can be a God only if I act like God. Exactly right. Can you imagine the state of the universe if imperfect... Now, here we go. Can you imagine the state of the universe if imperfect gods were allowed to spawn their imperfections throughout space if beings who did not have law under their subjection were free to create worlds? So here you have space gods from Kolob. You you have, in, in Mormon theology, Elohim, God the Father. That's not who it was for Joseph Smith, but let's not worry about that right now. Elohim, God the Father, lives on a planet that circles a star named Kolob. And he has his many wives. He has a body of flesh and bones, but no blood. And he engages in endless celestial sex with his wives, producing billions of spirit offspring. And those spirit offspring, that's the increase in posterity mentioned earlier, those spirit offspring in Mormon theology, a woman um, does not have the priesthood. Her resurrection is dependent upon her husband's exercise of his priesthood authority. Leads to a really ugly dynamic. And not only in this life then, her privilege, empowerment, as the lady said, Her empowerment is that they as a couple have the opportunity, and this is why Mormonism was a polygamous faith, um, and these days could become it again if they wanted to, given what's going on. I mean, Obergefell kicked the door open for that one. Um, But they don't want to. They're scared to death of that. Uh, 
her empowerment is that their duty is to provide physical bodies here on this earth for all the billions of spirit children who are still waiting to get their opportunity to enter into the mortal probation so they can begin their progression to godhood. So that's what she's talking about with, with sacred souls, sacred spirits being brought to earth. That's her role. And then, if she's a faithful Mormon woman, she gets sealed to her husband for time and eternity. They go and organize their own planet and start all over again. And then she, the way I put it before, never gets to see her feet again. Because she will now be eternally pregnant having spirit babies. And you would think a spirit baby wouldn't make you big, but they do. They do. So, you want a patriarchal system. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you wonder why there's problems at BYU these days. Okay. I continue on. Um, I guess that would be pretty disastrous, but I'm not sure I see why celestial marriage becomes the crowning apex of this progression. Marriage doesn't seem directly related to the creation of the universes. Plural, universes, not one. Oh, but don't be limited by your mortal perspective. God himself has declared his own reasons for existing. Remember, he said, for this is my work and my glory. I see his purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, Moses 139. Again, further example of how utterly unchristian Mormonism is. God's reason for existing is wrapped up in man. Why? Because he's an exalted man. He's an exalted man. Totally different than, the, than anything you find in in scripture, which involves giving birth to spirit children and setting them on the road to exaltation. There you go. That's what the lady's doing. And if that is to be done, you must have an exalted man and an exalted woman. Oh, no. I honestly wonder if one of the reasons that this is no longer being used, this wouldn't be popular at BYU anymore because they've got homosexual groups and transgender groups, and there's your gender binary right there. And that's why I was just, I'm just stunned that the majority of the people on the Salt Lake City uh, Council now are LGBTQ. Mormonism is collapsing on this stuff. Now, part of it was, I just went, hey, they have a physical God that has sex with his wives. I mean, maleness and femaleness is fundamental to the Mormon idea of God. So I figured the last people hunkering down in their bunkers in Utah uh, holding on would be the Mormons. But I should have known that doesn't matter. You have to have an objective foundation for that. And they don't have an objective foundation. So it's coming apart. Exactly. An exalted man and woman who have been joined together in an eternal marriage if this man and woman were obedient to all gospel laws except celestial marriage, what would be the result? They still could not be gods. Now I understand celestial marriage is the crowning ordinance of the gospel. Something that no apostle or prophet ever thought of is the crowning ordinance of the gospel. Right, I said with a smile. And with that comment, I think we can end the discussion. So there you go. There from an official uh, LDS source, uh, give you some background to what was going on with all that stuff in regards to uh, the homeschooling lady and her bringing uh, sacred souls, sacred spirits to uh, to earth. And that is not a Christian belief. And hopefully that'll help you to explain to people why it isn't. Still got one more topic to go. Sorry. What? 
So, quick update. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I can't avoid the, the idea that she has probably got seven choice spirits there. And um, the other thing is a little program update. The first time that you mentioned Uber rights, according to uh, our new uh, Let's Church engine, uh, it was September 11th, 2003. Really? Yep. Yep. That's, I mean, we're back real close to the publishing of the same-sex controversy, I, w- I would think. I mean, yeah, I you thought saw it, was it before then. then. You saw it then. Well, I did, but I thought it was, I thought it was even before then. But yep. there you go. Uh, appreciate that. Okay, fairly quickly here. I just want to uh, uh, Soteriology 101 tweet here. Um, here here's a and we've we've addressed this over and over again. That's why I'm not gonna you know I didn't go into the big studio and put it all back up because we've done it a thousand times before. They're not listening. That's not their final authority. Um, but for others. Why does the father give someone to his son? Why does the father give someone to his son? They list, uh, he lists two possibilities. A, it's a mystery. No one except God knows why he chooses to give one to the son rather than another. Calvinist answer. Yeah, in other words, it's God's absolute freedom. But they can't have that. They simply, they can't allow that. That's, that's, that's. That's God's sovereignty. They don't have a sovereign God. This is a very man-centered system. So you can't have that. So, B, the Father gives all who listen and learn from the Father to his Son so that they will all come to the only one who can save them, John 6.45. Now, briefly, some of you will remember um, that uh, back when we responded to Norman Geisler, and the chosen but free. We point out that what Dr. Geisler did with John 6, and this is what everybody has to do, synergists can not walk through John 6 from beginning to end utilizing the same hermeneutical methodology. They can't do it. And every time... We engage them on it. They prove it for us. As you are here. What did Geiser do? When Geiser looked up at John 6, 37, all the Father gives him will come to me. One who comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, what he did is he jumped down to John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up in the last day. And so he take he go he jumps down in the argument, reads a free will interpretation to that, and then rereads what came before in light of what hasn't actually come yet to get rid of the fact that the flow is God gives, all He gives comes. This is the result of their coming. This is what coming looks like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we point out then, this is standing the text on its head. This is not how you deal with resurrection. This is not how you deal with, with any of the key doctrines of Scripture, the Trinity, the deity of Christ. This is not the kind of hermeneutics that Dr. Geiser would use in any of those places. But he has to use it here because this is his tradition. 
Synergism is a human tradition. Well, that's exactly now what we have in this tweet from Soteriology 101. You go to John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. And we've pointed this out before. We've talked about this over and over again. But briefly, let's do it again. Verse 45 is a continuation. But it comes after all the rest of this. You've already had the assertion that the reason anyone comes to the Son is because they've been given by the Father. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Leighton Flowers does not believe that. He will not believe that in context, because that is not a synergistic... You can't fit that into a synergistic system without redefining all the words. And so what he does is, okay, so who comes... Who does the Father give to the Son? Well, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So instead of doing what you do with any other doctrine, anything in the Trinity, the deity of Christ, who the Holy Spirit is, the doctrine of the resurrection, all these other things, we would be in agreement as to how to do hermeneutics, but not here. So instead of going, oh, wait a minute, okay, um, we, the term comes to me has already occurred in this, in this section. It was up in verse 37 and it was said, all the father gives me will come to me. But the synergist believes that man makes a decision to come to Christ. That's the first decision. It's not the result of the father giving to the son. So, they want to go, oh, see, the Father gives all who listen and learn from the Father to his Son. So, you get to the end of all these things, the end of everything that the Father's done, and the end of everything that the Son does, and you get to the end, it's a description of what it means to be drawn to the Son, and you fill it with synergistic human autonomy, and now read it backwards into everything that came before. It is eisegesis on steroids. But you have to do it. Because synergists don't believe what Jesus said. They have their own philosophy, their own tradition, and they will do whatever they have to do to get around it. So, you look at verse 45... Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Oh, that means that they had the the autonomous ability to hear and to learn, and they choose to do so, and so they come to him, and that's why the Father then gives them to the Son. Turn the entire text on its head, upside down, backwards, and they don't even blush while doing it. They don't even blush while doing it. That's the amazing thing. But here's the thing. It is written in the prophets. Pontus didactoi theu. They shall all be taught by God. Now here is where all respect, but I do not believe that Leighton Flowers is Greek capable. I just don't. I, I'm, he may have taken a class or something. 
but there's a vast difference between taking basic Greek and actually being Greek capable. And I think he knows that. I think he knows that. He'll read other people and he can read their commentaries, but he's not Greek capable. And one of the, re- one of the impacts of that is there are actions in Greek that we translate in English in a more passive sense. They shall be taught by God. Whereas teaching is an action that God is doing. And the point is, when it says, no one could come to me unless the Father sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets. So now Jesus is saying, here's where this, this has been revealed beforehand. You want to see Old Testament foundation for this? He then gives us a citation. And I'll pop up the stuff here so you can uh, see it. He then gives a citation. And this specific uh, one from Isaiah 54 and Jeremiah 31, probably conflation. They shall all be taught by God. They shall all be taught by God. Who's the all? What, what, why is verse 45 here? What, what's its relationship to what came before? He's saying, don't be surprised what I'm telling you. You know, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. They shall all be taught by God. Who? Those the Father gives the Son. That's the drawing. Who does the drawing? The Father. So he draws, and we've already proven, and this isn't even disputable. No no matter how many times Leighton feigns, I don't know why he's emphasizing this. The one who is drawn is raised up by the Son. All that are drawn are raised up. There is a specific people given by the Father to the Son. And that is, they are chosen by God. And what they've got to do is say, well, we can't get around that. So we'll have to say that God chose based upon something else. They shall all be taught by God is the description from the prophets of what drawing means. And so what happens in the drawing is that they hear ha-akusas, the one hearing from the Father, and learning. And they have to go, see, everybody has that ability. Right after Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And there's the drawing. And if you can say he draws everybody, you're a universalist. You're stuck. There is no way out of this without engaging in just glaring scripture twisting. And that's what you've got right here. Glaring Scripture twisting. So, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, what does that mean? What's the only meaning for that in this context? The drawing of the Father, all the Father gives me, will come to me. Watch out for those who are so desperate to find a little crack to put the autonomous will of man in, to control God's grace, they will do anything. They will do 
anything to find a way to do it. And look, you can't stop them. You can you can point out the inconsistency. You can the best you can do is you can just keep demonstrating that hey, this is this is not how they would interpret anything else, but it is man's last bastion. It's man's pride. Man's pride will find a way. It's um it's an amazing thing. So there you go. Boy, did we cover a lot of stuff today. <laughs> I'm gonna have a hard time remembering to type up the uh because I was stupid enough to close a couple, a couple of those windows. Oh well. Um we'll do our best to type it up for the blog. Like I said, probably Wednesday of next week. If we can do it Wednesday, it'll it would probably be after Iron Sharpens Iron. Uh, because I've got to get to Albuquerque <laughs> and get set up, do Iron Sharpens Iron, and then we'll we'll try to find a way to, to do the program after that. And uh, I'll bet you something interesting will happen between now and then. Then again, maybe not. All right. Thanks for watching the program today. Hopefully it's useful to you. We will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>